Hey everybody, hope you are having a good week so far. So uh, I'm going to give a little pre-warning here. My kids are upstairs and they're on technology, so they might be a little loud. So I'm really sorry about that if that does happen. I tried to do this last night, but I'm um, just ran out of time. So I'm going to do it right now. All right, so we're going to talk about bladder stones today. Uh, there are other types of stones as well, so sometimes we do have to make sure we say the correct terms for this. So a bladder stone, like in the bladder itself, is usually going to be a cystolith, like how we do cystocentesis to get the urine, like a cystolith. Lith meaning the rock, and cysto meaning the bladder. It could also be called a urolith, meaning it's inside the urinary tract in general. So typically that means it could be either in the kidneys, the ureters, so we go from the kidneys to a little tube that connects the kidney to the bladder, called the ureter. It could be in the bladder, or it could be in the urethra. So that's going to be the tube that connects from the bladder outside where they pee. All right. So if it was the other stones that we usually talk about are usually going to be something that's in the gallbladder. And I'll talk about that in another time because it's not related anything to our bladder stones. So there are lots of different types of bladder stones. The most common types are going to be struvites and calcium oxalates in dogs and cats. Uh, we'll talk about each one and how they're actually a little bit different in dogs and cats and like what to look for, what to talk to the owners about and so on. So the, signs of bladder stones, typically you're going to have somebody who calls in, you know, and maybe talks to Mariah and says, hey, I have my dog that's straining to urinate, like just constantly attempting to go, but nothing is coming out. You know, that's a huge emergency, especially when it's a dog. We've talked about this with cats and how they're straining and that's how that's a huge emergency. If you haven't listened to that one, I think it's literally the first episode on um, feline urinary obstructions. But in dogs, that's also really important as well. We just don't see it as often as we do in cats. Even in female dogs, it can be really important as well. So like if they start noticing the dog is straining to go to the bathroom, maybe there's bloody urine, uh, those are definitely things to come in for immediately. But other things they may talk to Mariah about is like, hey, my dog is just urinating a lot and it just smells bad. So a lot of people will be like, oh, it's probably just a urinary tract infection, which it definitely could be, but there are other things it could be as well. So other signs, like I've said already, straining, bloody urine, just some pungent urine, um, urinating frequently, having accidents in the house, licking the genital area more than usual, sometimes being lethargic or not really eating as much, and then even sometimes vomiting, especially if that stone has moved somewhere else. And then the really important one, not producing any urine, also not a good thing. So usually they'll bring them in and then hopefully the person who's doing triage, let's say we have Tori who's doing triage, goes out there, talks to the owner and says, you know, their urine has been pretty bloody lately. Um, ideally, we want to try to get a urine sample as soon as possible. So Tori will talk to them like, hey, can we get a urine sample on them, especially if they're trying to pee frequently, because if they are the chances of us getting that urine sample are lower every single time they go outside and pee and strain to go to the bathroom, right? So ideally, you want to try to get a urine sample as soon as possible. So that way we can see if we have a big, big bladder. If we don't, then we kind of know, all right, then we maybe we have to give medication to help with pain control, or maybe we need to keep them inside in a cage so that that way they'll, they don't have the access to go outside to go to the bathroom, and maybe we'll be able to get a better urine sample that way. But 
how are we going to diagnose this at besides that? So usually when you, if the technician is getting the urine sample, that is a great way. So the technician, whoever's doing it, can look to see if there looks like bladder stones. So let's say we have Sarah getting urine and she notices that there are some really bright white, like ball-like structures in the bladder that have the shadowing underneath. So that's the important part is like, you could see crystals in a urine sample or in a bladder, and they'll look like that really bright white, especially like the ones where you see that they're all floating around in the bladder and it looks like a Christmas globe. Uh, but this is actually like a, it's a very bright white with shadowing underneath. It has to have that shadowing or that black underneath to be able to say that it's a stone. Otherwise, it's probably just crystals or even a blood clot. Sometimes I've had that happen too. But ultrasound is great. Ultrasound is cool because you can see every single type of stone in there. So did you know that there are actually stones we cannot see in x-rays? And we'll talk about that in just a minute here. But there are stones we cannot see in x-rays. So a lot of times using the ultrasound is the best tool to be able to do that. That has a caveat though, because when you think about ultrasounding, we can only ultrasound things that are in the abdomen. If there are bones in the way, we cannot see anything past that. Or if there's gas in the way, we can't see anything past that. So like underneath the colon sometimes becomes really hard because there's too much gas or under the stomach sometimes is hard because there's too much gas. But the important thing for the bladder and looking for stones is we cannot see anything that goes from the, the bladder to outside the world. So that's the urethra, right? We cannot see anything in there because the pelvis sits on top of that. So the bone sits there and we can't see anything. We can look at things like in the kidneys, and we can even sometimes see it in the ureters, the one that connects from the kidneys to the bladder. Those are a little bit hard because it's really small. So sometimes we're just looking to see if the ureters look like they're really dilated and then just kind of stop. But we can see those because there's no bone that's blocking the way. Unless the colon sits over it, then again, that makes it a little bit harder. But most of the time we're looking specifically in the bladder. If you do see stones in the bladder, you can still get a urine sample. It's when we see masses, so something that looks like um, all the rest of the soft tissue, so it looks like the bladder, or it looks like there's some weird structure without any shadowing, then that is not a time to get a urine sample. And, and I will say that with a little bit of caution, because there can be like a giant bladder and some bladder stones, that's probably not a, blood, a urine to get because um, we don't want to poke the bladder and have a rupture in case there is something that's stuck later down the, the tube um, in the urethra. So instead, maybe just go grab a doctor, have them look at it really quickly. And if you're okay, go ahead and get a urine sample at that point. So the other one we talked about is going to be radiographs, right? X-rays. So x-rays can see things that we can't see on an ultrasound. We talked about how on an ultrasound, like I cannot see the urethra because it's underneath the pelvis. But at an x-ray, as long as the stone is actually one that you can see on x-rays, you can see that in the pelvis. So that sometimes is a better modality for us because we can see things that we can't see on an ultrasound if something is stuck especially so if we see a really big bladder then probably the very next thing that we're going to do is take an x-ray to see if there's a stone stuck somewhere in the urethra so x-rays 
Um, the really important thing about x-rays is that if we do suspect that there are stones in that bladder or in the urethra specifically, you need to make sure that you take x-rays past that animal's butt. So past that dog or past that cat's butt. Because if we don't see that very last piece, like past that, like the literally the whole dog seeing like part of the tail and stuff in there, then we can miss part of the urethra because it goes outside of even where like where the boundary of the butt would be. So it goes like it passes from the bladder through the pelvis out underneath the butt in like that little poochy area that you feel in the back there and then down into the penis for males. And so sometimes if you don't get that whole thing, we'll actually miss it. So we got to make sure to get that whole thing. There's also two views that you want to get. One is going to be with the legs pulled back towards the tail, so caudally. And then the other one is going to be the legs pulled forward towards the head, so cranially. And again, the reason is because we can see different things by when their legs are positioned differently. We can just see different pieces of the pelvis and of the urethra. And even like into the penis, um, when the legs are pulled back, we can see the penis better and the urethra inside the penis better versus when they're pulled forward, we can actually see the whole like back or middle portion of the urethra better. So you want to make sure you take two positions that way. Other testing that we're going to do is going to be doing like a urinalysis that can sometimes lead us to tell us what kind of stone is in there by maybe seeing the crystals that are in there. Although a lot of times there are no crystals, even when we have stones, which is interesting. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then also sometimes we'll see bacteria, which will again kind of lead us to maybe what kind of stone this is. Or if there's no bacteria at all, it might also lead us to what kind of stone this is as well. Um, other things too may even be a urine sample that we send out for culture and sensitivity. So I don't know if anybody doesn't know what culture and sensitivities are, so I'm just going to talk about it really quickly. But basically they take the urine sample and then we send it to the lab. The lab puts that urine on a plate that has like, it's called an agar plate, but it has all these different types of medium. So like there's like blood and I remember all the different types, but all these different types of things to allow that whatever bacteria is in that urine to grow on, which then tells them what kind of bacteria it is. And from there, they take the bacteria and they tell us what antibiotics are they most sensitive to. So when we get a urine sample and we see that there's bacteria, coxy or rods, uh, we're just kind of guessing as to what we think the most likely bacteria is that's in there. And then we have to guess as to what most likely the best antibiotic is going to be. But when we have the culture and sensitivity that tells us exactly which bacteria are in there and then is helpful in telling us which antibiotics we cannot use, the antibiotics we can use is still a little bit iffy. Uh, that's just a whole nother can of worms, but at least it'll tell us which antibiotics are not going to work for that dog or cat. All right, so let's talk about our most common types of stones in our dogs and cats. The first most common one is going to be struvite stones in both dogs and in cats. So struvite stones, they form when two minerals come together. Actually, there's t technically three minerals that come together. It's calcium, magnesium, and phosphate that all stick together. The calcium portion of this is kind of the important thing because of the fact that calcium is what makes the stone become 
radio opaque, or basically that we can see it on the x-ray. So if there's calcium in there, that makes it more like bone, and we can see bone on an x-ray, right? So you can see these stones on an x-ray. We can sometimes see crystals of the struvite crystals in the urine samples, but more often we don't see them. Most of the time we see that there's no crystals, but what we do see technically is usually there is bacteria in there. The reason why is because when the stone forms, like you could have all of these minerals in your bladder. That is a normal thing. It's normal to have magnesium, phosphate, and calcium all in there, but you cannot form a stone a struvite stone specifically, unless you have an ammonium-producing bacteria. So usually there has to be some sort of bacteria in there that's causing the pH to go up. So we talk about pH as being, you know, like if something is acidic versus if it's a basic or if it's neutral. So when the pH rises, that means it's more basic. Acidic is lower pH, basic is higher pH. So the pH rises, becomes more basic, and the struvite crystals can then clump together to form the stone. So if you have struvite crystals in there, that can actually be sometimes even a normal thing in dogs, like in puppies sometimes, or even in, um, like, let's say the sample sat in the refrigerator for a little while. Those, those minerals can kind of come together and form little crystals, but it doesn't actually cause a problem in dogs specifically until you have a urinary tract infection. So that's how we know then that these are most likely going to be struvite stones. The most common dogs that are affected are going to be females, usually ages um, like of around three to five-ish years old. It can affect anybody, but that's just kind of the normal age. The breeds most affected are usually going to be like Shih Tzus, Miniature Schnauzers, Yorkies, and then Labradors, interestingly enough, and Dachshunds. So mostly little dogs with a little bit of lab mixed in there. How do we treat these now? So there's a couple of things that we do for treatments. One is going to be a diet. So some stones can be broken down by a diet and some stones cannot. But struvite stones can be broken down by a diet for dogs. This is specifically, again, for dogs right now. So with the diet, uh, there's two different types. You can use Hills SD or you can use Royal Canin SO. So they bring the pH down so that the pH of the urine is no longer basic, like we talked about that made these stones in the first place. It makes it more neutral. We don't want to make it acidic because that's actually going to produce a different type of stone. So we want it to be very neutral. And then the next thing is going to be, oh, and for the diet, they have to be on that diet specifically. That's it. No other types of food. They can't mix their food. They can't mix Caesars on top of it. They can't give them uh, people food. They can't have them eating treats because it has to be that the that pH has to be brought down. And if they're feeding them something else, then unfortunately, there's no way that that pH will be able to be brought down just with the diet. The diet's not going to work and those stones will still be there. The next thing is going to be antibiotics for that urinary tract infection. So again, like ideally we send it out for a culture and sensitivity so we know exactly which antibiotic to use to be able to kill off all the bacteria so that that way we cannot make any more stones and we can start dissolving some of these other stones that are in there. Then there are other like 
things that you can do. So that's usually the most common thing you're going to see is we're going to do diet and antibiotics and then recheck in about four weeks to see if those stones have gone away. But the other things that can be done is you can do surgery. You could definitely do what's called a cystotomy. So cyst we talked about was bladder. So it basically means cutting into the bladder. So we cut into the bladder and remove the stones. Why would we do that over the diet and food? Sometimes people are like, look, I cannot put my dog on this food. Like maybe they have a very strict diet and they have really bad food allergies and so we can't put them on the food. Or maybe there's actually um, stones that we're worried about that could cause urethral obstruction. We don't worry about that as much in in female dogs. Again, it can happen, but mostly in male dogs, we might worry about that more. So sometimes just doing the cystotomy will be easier on the pet and the owner. There's also something called lithotripsy. It basically means that there's like sound waves that they use to break up the stones. So it's like looking at an ultrasound probe, but there's like sound waves coming through it and breaking up the stones. That also has like its pros and cons. Like you do have um, them break up into smaller pieces. So for females, it'd be a lot easier. They have a wider urethra versus males. There's a more likelihood that it could get stuck because of the fact that their urethra becomes very small. So and it, I don't even think that we have it in our hospital. I'd have to ask Dr. K, but I don't believe that we do. And then um, after they're done with the stones, like we let's say we've rechecked them in four weeks, we see that all the stones are gone. That's fantastic. They can go back to their normal diet. This is not a lifelong diet that they have to be on, which is something really important to just talk to people about. So maybe when Lindsay goes over discharges, she's like, hey, you know, this, you got to be like really strict on this diet for these four weeks Um, because she knows about this. She's had to go through this with her dog, but really strict about that diet for four weeks. And then if everything looks good, all the stones are dissolved, go back to your regular food. Not a big deal. Not going to be a lifelong thing. So it's really important for them to know that because you have like an end goal, right? Like you have something that you can look forward to in four weeks and be like, oh, thank God. I only got to do this one bag, be really strict for four weeks, and then we're good. We can go back to what our normal diet is. Sometimes when people are like, oh, this is a lifelong thing, like this stones are never going to go away, then it becomes um, kind of more discouraging for them. But the other thing I will say is that sometimes, even if we believe that they're struvite stones, maybe they're not fully struvite stones. You can actually have a mixture of stones as well. So maybe they dissolve partially and then just don't dissolve. But by that four weeks, that's when we're talking to them about like, you know, were you really strict on this diet? Because if you weren't, then we have to give this more time. Versus if they were really strict on the diet, there's no way they could have gotten into anything else. And that might mean that we have two different types of stones. All right, that is in dogs. So now we're going to talk about that same stones just in cats. So struvite stones in cats. They're slightly different. We talked about in dogs how they usually can already have those crystals there, uh, but you have to have a urinary tract infection in order to be able to make those crystals. In cats, actually, you don't usually have a urinary tract infection. You can, but usually you don't. It still can form from all of those same minerals, um, but crystals in cats are more likely to lead to stones than in dogs. So if we see crystals in cats, like we're really more on top of it than if we see it in dogs. And dogs are kind of like, eh, it's probably okay. But in cats, like it's 
it becomes more of a problem. We do need to put them on a diet to help dissolve those crystals. And in cats, like you can do the SO or you can do the CD. Either one is usually okay because it's just the crystal form, not the stone form. So they don't have to be on SD. But um, just like with dogs, you can use the diet to help dissolve those stones so that they don't necessarily have to be uh, go into surgery. So for cats, though, this will be a lifelong diet. Like I said, in dogs, like usually after the stones are gone, we take them off the diet. No big deal. Cats, though, like it is a lifelong diet. And they do have to have this again as their sole food. No other types of food. Only this. They also really do well with extra water. Extra water dilutes everything down. So again, they're less likely to be able to form those crystals. And they usually dissolve sometime between like one to six weeks in cats. So we'll usually do some x-rays sometime around like four to six weeks to see if those stones have dissolved. Again, it can happen in males, females, um, but males is a little more concerning. We're a little more diligent about like, hey, really watch them because we don't want this to become stuck because the urethra being so small. All right, next type of stone we're going to talk about is calcium oxalates. So calcium oxalates are interesting because the pH doesn't matter as much. They're more likely to form in the lower or more acidic pH, but it but they can form in either one. So it forms when there's a lot of calcium and a lot of oxalate in the urine, hence why it's called calcium oxalates. They're not usually associated with a urinary tract infection. So these are ones that we aren't, like, definitely we'll check to make sure they don't have a UTI, but they're not ones that we're probably going to be putting on an antibiotic. They most likely are to affect male dogs, um, usually older, so the average age is around nine years old. And the breeds tend to be the sort of in-betweenish dogs, so Keyshounds, Norwich Terriers, Norfolk Terriers, Pomeranians, Alicia. Miniature poodles and bichons. Sometimes they do think it can be a genetic defect that could cause these, because in some dogs, like English bull terriers, they actually have found that there is a predisposition to it. Um, in humans, they also found that they don't produce something that's called nephrocalcin, which actually helps stop the production of these stones. So that can. Um, they're like looking into a lot of these to try to figure out if maybe there's some genetic basis on it. They have found some genetic markers in Staffordshire Terriers, Border Collies, Boston Terriers, Bull Mastiffs, Havanese, Rottweilers, and Staffordshire Bull Terriers, which I thought that was really interesting, especially since they're not the most common ones to have it, but they have found some of those. Treatment for these guys, unfortunately, diet is not going to dissolve um, this type of stone. And um, I did forget to mention, we talked about earlier, like which stones will show up on an x-ray. So we talked about how this one is calcium and oxalate. This one will show up on x-rays because it has that calcium in it. So luckily the top two that we normally see show up on x-rays. Um, so typically with these guys, it's going to mean surgery. You can do the lipo lithotripsy again, but again, like you have to kind of weigh the risks on like, is this potentially going to block them later on or just having owners know that it's going to be something that they have to worry about potentially and to really watch them. One thing to mention as well is that 
with lithotripsy, it's not just like a one-time deal. Like you come in over and over again. And I don't know like what the frequency is of each stone and stuff, but you go in over and over again to help break down those stones. So the most important thing for these guys is actually prevention. Um, studies have shown that about 50% will develop new stones within the next three years of surgery. So after we've done the surgery to remove the stones, like really they got to really be trying to help prevent them. Uh, And another interesting fact is like Bashans, they actually are even more of an increased risk. They can occur usually within a year. So we want to try to figure out what to do to help prevent these things. They can use like just normal commercially available diets. Those are fine. They just need to have a low protein is the thing. So they usually have low protein, low sodium, and an adequate amount of phosphorus. Usually a wet food is going to be better. Again, more water in any of these patients is going to be better because it helps dilute everything down. Normal treats are fine, like chicken, turkey, eggs, rice, peas, pasta, white potatoes, cabbage, cauliflower, bananas, melons. So like there's still a lot of things that they can eat. Sorry, my dogs are running up above me, but... The other things are sometimes we can't, there are things that we just can't avoid. Like there's actually like certain medications that can make these stones worse as well, like furosemide. So if we have a dog that has heart failure, unfortunately, like we have to put on furosemide knowing that it's, if this dog is already prone to having stones, that they're probably going to get stones. Prednisone is another one, but prednisone is nice because we can actually like find other medications that we could potentially use instead of prednisone. And then vitamin D and vitamin C supplements. So when we talk about like asking owners in GP, hey, what are the medications you have your pet on? Definitely ask for the supplements, especially if there are dogs that have stones because these vitamin D and vitamin C supplements, they're potentially going to make things worse. Sometimes we do add in other things like potassium citrate, which basically what it does is it binds to calcium over the oxalate. So and instead of forming a stone, it actually just kind of helps dissolve it away. So it's not a very common thing, but it is something that sometimes we do. And then some people just choose to put them, put these guys just on CD or SO as well. Again, like it helps neutralize the, the urine so that hopefully we don't have that urine becoming really acidic. But like I said, they still can form in a very neutral environment too. So these are a little bit more complicated to have to deal with, unfortunately. Sometimes the owner just needs to know, hey, you're probably going to have a lot of stones. We just need to be doing x-rays pretty frequently to make sure that those, to see if those stones are forming or not. So like I said, some of the things to help prevent it, nutrition, uh, making sure that they have, they're drinking lots of water because that's going to dilute the urine. And then also um, feeding canned food will help dilute that urine or mixing the food with water. So like if they're like, I don't want to buy the canned food, it's too expensive. Just mix the dry food with water. You're just getting more water in that way as well. Dry food has almost no water. So we want to get more water into them. And then dog fountains, dog water fountains. I have one for my dogs. You can definitely, I mean, I have one for a Great Dane. You can definitely find them big enough on Amazon. Other things, like I said, were going to be the diet. Diet is going to be better to try to help make sure that we prevent these stones, especially if we put them on a prescription diet. We know what's in all of those versus some of the -the over-the-counter ones are not as ideal because the fact that um, we don't always know what's in each one of those 
there can definitely be contaminants of other things. Um, and sometimes they're just not going to be as effective. And then monitoring for infections for our, our struvite stones. And then also, um, possibly taking x-rays just a couple times a year. So maybe like every six months, just to make sure that everything looks like it's okay, that we don't see any obvious stones in there. All right, for cats, real quick, on calcium oxalate stones, um, again, just like with dogs, there's no dissolution diet. Nothing will make it go away, but you can put them on this to help prevent them. Surgery is still the most common thing, or the lithotripsy in some places. Increasing the water consumption, avoiding um, you know, vitamin C and vitamin D supplementation, and diet are going to be good for prevention. So calcium oxalate stones in cats and dogs is very similar. Now let's talk about some of the weird ones. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about the weird ones, just, just so you kind of know about some of them. Um, one of them is calcium phosphate carbonate stones. They do usually occur from a UTI as well. So again, like we think that it might be a calcium, sorry, we think that it might be a struvite stone, but it maybe it ends up being a calcium phosphate carbonate stone. So we see that they both have a urinary tract infection. We're still going to treat the urinary tract infection the same way, but maybe that stone doesn't completely dissolve because we don't, we're not targeting the right stone. Urate stones are another interesting one. They usually occur because of a liver shunt or, it's, or like this altered gene. It's called the SLC2A9 gene. So typically for these dogs, if we find out that they do have urate stones, which usually means that we've gone in, we've done surgery, removed the stones, send them out. Uh, if we find out that it's from that, then typically we're going to want to look at their liver. On an x-ray, Are their liver is their liver really small? Or we're going to do bile acid testing to see if they have a problem with their with a possible liver shunt. Genetic testing can also be done for these dogs. So some of the dogs that are at risk are Dalmatians, Bulldogs, and Labradors. So if you see that they have stones, then sometimes we can send out that, like, it's literally like the same genetic type testing that you can send out for some of the other things. But also, um, Davis has a really good genetic testing lab as well. They usually are seen because of like high purine diets, meaning that there's just lots of meat and organs in there. So like typically really high in liver, heart, fish, and seafood, which I've seen a lot of these diets. Like there's actually a lot of people who are like, oh, I have them on this really high protein diet so that they'll like beef up, right? But actually sometimes they're just like putting them more at risk for having stones. So these can be dissolved with a diet. Actually, they just need to be a low purine diet. So basically like kind of more like a vegan diet for a little bit to try to help dissolve all of these stones. And then sometimes medications as well. Xanthine stones are another interesting one. They are due to a rare autosomal recessive disorder, meaning like because it's so rare, like you have to have both parents have had one gene of this and they just happen to have given it to the offspring. But it's found in like toy Manchester Terriers, King Charles Cavaliers, English Cocker Spaniels, Dachshunds, Chihuahuas, and then mixed breeds as well. So sometimes genetic testing can help you again, like determine whether they potentially could have these xanthine stones. And because this isn't really due to a specific type of, you know, like the pH or bacteria or anything. These are just genetic things. So typically they have to be removed uh, but by surgery. 
Sistine stones. These are actually probably one of the more commonish ones out of all of the other ones, but um, out of all these rare ones. But it is usually due to an inherited defect of part of the kidneys called the renal tubular transporters of cysteine. It just means that it brings the cysteine into the bladder where it usually wouldn't. Genetic testing can be done on these guys. And the reason why we see these more commonly is because there's actually a sex hormone linked to this, meaning that intact male dogs can develop these cysteine stones. And then as soon as we neuter them and remove the stones, they don't get any more stones. So if we have any intact male dogs that have bladder stones, the most common thing we're going to talk to them about is actually neutering them at the same time. I've had one that was a Manchester Terrier. They refused to neuter him. And and I did the stone. I removed the stones. I did a cystotomy. And he came back and saw St. Sin, I think maybe three or four months later, and had redeveloped the stones. And she was like, well, that's because he... We talked about neutering him. You got to neuter him. And so they finally neutered him. No more stones. So that is an interesting one for like, if we do see stones, like I said, if you see stones, you see it's neutered, it's not neutered. It's probably going to mean that we're going to have to neuter them. Other two weird ones. One is called silica stones. These usually form from diets high in corn gluten or grain holes. Um, Or this is the reason why I put this in there because it's such a crazy one. Um, also can occur when dogs drink out of water near volcanic areas. So maybe some of the places near Mount Rainier. I don't know. And then last one, potassium magnesium pyrophosphate. This one, nobody knows. Nobody knows how it forms. Nobody knows why it forms. It just forms weirdly. So unfortunately, since we don't know how it forms, the only way to, to help resolve it is to take them out. Do a cystotomy. One of the cool things I just wanted to point out real quick is, you know, how do we know which kind of stones these are? There are two different labs that we can send these out to. One is we can send them to IDEX. They have a really fast turnaround. So it's usually within a couple of days to a week. They'll tell us what kind of stone it is. And that's about it. So they cut into the stone, they look to see what it is, and they tell us what kind of stone. They are more expensive to send them out that way. Or the other way we do it is to send it to the Minnesota Urolith Center. So Minnesota, uh, the university, has this center for just just looking at stones. That's it. They're just looking at all kinds of stones. And what they do is they break it down. Again, they tell us what kind of material is in the stone. And then also, they'll give you guidelines. They'll be like, hey, here are the things that you can do to help avoid this in the future. Or here are the testing that you need to do which you can also find all of these online at their website anyways. But um, if if like somebody's really cost constrained, then typically doing the Minnesota Urolith Center is going to be cheaper. Like I think it's only like five bucks. I think they only charge for doing like sending it and not actually um, like to, to do the testing. So that is one nice thing if we're kind of really worried about costs, sending it out to the Minnesota center, but it does take a lot longer. Like it's sometimes taken up to eight weeks before we get those stones back. All right. I think that that is it for the stones. I know that was a lot. I'm sorry. I tried to get it in within about 30-ish minutes, especially because I have to get ready for work here very soon. But 
I will tell you my story really quickly, my fun story. This doesn't have to do with stones in the bladder, but this actually has to do with stones in the stomach. So when Matza, my Labrador, was a puppy, um, I brought her in for something. I don't even remember what it was that I brought her in for, but one of the technicians had taken an x-ray of her and it didn't have to do with vomiting. I still can't remember what it was, but some one of the technicians had taken an x-ray of her. And then I looked at the x-ray and I was like, she has rocks in her stomach. How does she have rocks in her stomach? Like big rocks, big, big rocks in her stomach. And they, um, they were like, the technicians were like, well, what do we want to do? And I was like, ah, well, let's make her vomit. Hopefully she'll be able to vomit them up because otherwise she's, they're going to stay in there until I spay her. Or if they get stuck, then I'm going to spare at the same time. And so we, we, I gave the technician the amount to give for the apomorphine and the technician accidentally drew up Serenia and gave her Serenia. So then we couldn't make her vomit. So to this day, um, she's not gotten another x-ray since then. I'm assuming the rocks have passed. I don't know. She hasn't had any foreign bodies yet, so I haven't had to take another x-ray of her. But it goes to show, you know, even though you don't think that they're going to have a foreign body, for like people who are like, oh, there's no way they would ever eat anything. They don't eat objects. Sometimes they just do, and you just don't know it. But like I said, I think that they've passed so far. Well, we'll see one day when we take her x-rays again. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. And then we're going to do gastroenteritis next week. Um, I know it's not as thrilling as some of the other ones, but I always think it's kind of important to know like what gastroenteritis is because it's such a broad topic, especially like if you went to your, your doctor and were like, I have vomiting and diarrhea and they're like, oh, it's a stomach bug. There's no such thing as a stomach bug. These are actually things. There are actually things that cause this. And doctors just get away with being like, oh, it's just a stomach bug or it's just a cold. There's no, there's no like real thing that's a cold. Anyways, whole soapbox. All right, guys, thanks again for listening to this. If you have any questions, again, always come and ask me. If you have any topics that you want me to do, come and ask me. I have a whole running list of them that I'm doing right now. So I'm happy to do any of them. And for anybody who's listening to this today or in the next couple of days, um, I will be there on uh, January 31st, I want to say. Hold on. 30th, January 30th. If anybody wants to do Education Day, January 30th, 2023, just in case somebody listens to this some other year in the future. But if anybody wants to do anything, again, hit me up. Let me know. I'm happy to go over stuff with you. Thanks, guys.